An orchestra needs a conductor to coordinate the play of its musicians. A computer needs a central processing unit to coordinate the performance, performance of its subsystems. Living beings need something similar to regulate and coordinate its parts. We may assume that this central integrating system, CIS, is not conscious in humans to shield it from wrong ideas. Otherwise, wrong ideas might mess up our body. However, the resistance of the central integrating system, or CIS, against wrong ideas is not unlimited, especially if the wrong ideas or attitudes are of long duration. Water in the long run will erode almost every substance over time. Is the above not a simple idea? There is a top organizer in an orchestra, a top organizer in a computer, a top organizer in living things. These organizers act quickly, automatically, flawlessly, if not disturbed. All these organizers have one principle. They secure the functioning of the whole thing. They are the wardens of survival in living things. However, animals have fewer crazy thoughts and attitudes than human beings. So their CIS is relatively good to secure their, their survival. However, if they are exposed to crazy people, then they might even commit suicide. I once had a client, uh, I had clients who were so disturbed that their dog could not take it anymore. He went to the railway track, tracks which ran by their house, waited on the tracks until a train approached, sat still until he was run over. The minds of people can, in the long run, influence their own bodies. I was in an advanced philosophy seminar given by Stephen Tulmeen, a famous guy on the level of my two friends Karl Popper and Paul Feyerabend. Present were a lot of professors of medicine. One of them made the following remark, I don't believe this new age idea that our thoughts and feelings can influence our bodies. I asked him, do you believe that thoughts and feelings exist? He, yes. I, do you believe that one bodily process can influence another? He, yes. I, do you believe that our thoughts and feelings are processes of our central nervous system? He had to say, yes. Now he was dead, I. So what is your problem? If thoughts and feelings are bodily processes and bodily processes can influence each other, it follows that thoughts and feelings can influence our bodies. He looked, he looked flummoxed. Stephen told me, 
<laughs> I have to say that I do not like guys. Uh, I do not like guys like the professor. He exuded an aura of infinite wisdom and insight, was revered by colleagues and students. Is it not nasty for me to make him look stupid? I do not think so, of course, he and his sycophants did. Why don't I find this nasty? I find it nasty if someone uses his powerful position to brainwash others and instill an ideology. The guy was a primitive materialist. I argued from his position and defeated him. I did not use any other ideas than his own and showed that they proved him wrong. The same procedure I used with primitive capitalists or primitive communists or primitive Nazis. I tell you, they don't like it. So please, think on your own for your own good. You might feel lonely in the beginning, but you should be aware that each one of us has the potential to be one's own best friend. Others are not so necessarily, sometimes not even people to whom you feel very close. I was about 15 when I had the following thought. If everybody would put all the effort into, into becoming happy, the world would be a really good place. Being happy is being safe. Look, I lost my Christine to whom I was married for 55 years. I had done all I could that I, she and our daughter Doris were happy. When she died, it was as if a bomb struck. A hole was created and I felt dazed. However, over time, I filled the crater with potting soil on which this podcast grows. I will do my best, be cautious with what I say, but not overly so, because there are limits to being nice. As for example, with the above professor. A lot of people are so nice, so nice, and kill everything with their nicety. They kind of force others to be so nice, so nice, and, of course, utter no critique to whatever they do. But let's go back to our unconscious mind, which coordinates everything. A long time ago, I read a book that was written by the French mathematician Hadamard on the psychology of invention in the mathematical field. It deals with solving mathematical problems on a high level. There is no solution in sight for the researcher. He might try for a year or longer, no results until the solution appears out of nowhere, out of our unconscious mind, without any effort. What actually happened is this. The only useful process during the effortful and unsuccessful period was that the researcher got to know the problem really well. He put the riddle into his unconscious mind and let it go and forgot all about it. 
After a certain period, the solution pops out from the unconscious. Do you know what that means? It means that our unconscious mind is potentially highly cognitive, a far better problem solver than our conscious mind. The unconscious is not chaotic as all most assume. This cannot be the case because otherwise the species Homo sapiens would, would be doomed because of a faulty central processing unit. This is a possibility. However, it may just appear to be so. It was thought not too long ago that heavier bodies fall faster than lighter ones. I bet that a great many people still believe so. You can support this belief with many examples such as a, such as a piece of iron and a sheet of paper. The belief is still wrong. Assume that you have two identical steel balls. At least they look so from the outside. However, one is massive, the other is hollow. They have different weights, but they hit the ground at the same time. Faulty beliefs can also be supported by seemingly well-reasoned arguments. Assume that I want to disprove the idea that the Earth rotates around its axis daily. I say this. Assume that you have a really high tower say 500 meters tall, then according to you, a lead ball dropped from it, it would take uh, about 9 to 10 seconds to reach the ground. During that time, the tower moves about 4 kilometers if it were on the equator. So the lead ball would hit the ground about 4 kilometers kilometers away from the base of the tower. We know that this is not the case. Therefore, the Earth does not rotate. A lot of physics teachers would struggle to show where the argument goes wrong. So we have faulty beliefs and arguments surrounding certain facts, which obscure the facts. In the case of the human CPU, the belief that it is innately chaotic or evil, is in the interest of all the people who want to exploit others. If you can make people doubt themselves, they are more easily manipulated. People who trust themselves do their own things and resist exploitation. We do not even have an inkling what a society based on people like that would look like. But what is the alternative? Should we get the sp spring poisoners? Should we let the spring poisoners get away? My answer is, you take care of yourself and decontaminate yourself. You should be interested in that because it means your happiness. And therefore, as we shall see, also your health. Big acts, act, big acts of uh, decontamination, so-called revolutions, do not work. Why not? People who lead 
and who follow the revolutions are still contaminated. No su such big-scale effort will achieve the same effect as individual self-motivated and self-determined decontamination. Remember, this is no duty, this is your happiness. It will not be easy, but it makes sense. In addition, no system needs to, be, uh, needs to feel threatened. There is just an overall increase in ability, no revolution. It's evolution instead of revolution. So, now I'm tired of this topic. It, it is better to leave it alone, let it settle and pick it up later on again. If you ride on a great horse, don't ride it to death. Have a, have a moderate ride with it and then you both rest. Then say, how are you? Are you ready for another enjoyable ride? Do you remember 24 bottles? Four bottles only and then rest. Okay, what now? Remember my visit with Anna Freud? I had come to Dover, England in my freshly hand-painted car. The doctor had refused to let us visit. So we had to do something else. We drove to Kingsbridge, Devon. Our friend Ute Hotz from Kleingemünd had given us an address there, which we did not find. So we asked someone who was gardening in front of their house. She, Dot Kemp, was very nice and gave us directions but also invited us to dinner for the evening. Dot Kemp and her husband Phil became friends of ours, who visited us in Wiesenbach near Heidelberg later on several times. Doris and her American boyfriend Philip saw them more than 20 years later and were received very nicely. One more unexpected event. During our first year in Greensboro, when Doris was only about seven, we were trick-or-treating with her. After that, we stayed with American friends who had visitors from England. We started to talk with the English and got to know that they were from the area where Dot and Phil lived. I wrote their address on a piece of paper, folded it and gave it to them with the recommendation to visit Dot and Phil and say hello from Gerard, Christine and Doris. Then we left. Barely were we out of the door, heard we a loud scream and the English shot out of the door waving the address and shouting, Dot and Phil are friends of ours. The world is full of miracles. Another one. Do you remember the Dr. O'Connor who greeted me so nicely at the University of Maryland Heidelberg office? She was English too and the math coordinator there. I was barely admitted when Christine and I were on the island of Kirk, Yugoslavia for holidays. Because the main beach was so crowded, we decided to walk along down the beach to look for a nicer spot.
we uh, go for half a mile to a hidden cove. There were only a few people there, naked. And I see someone looking at me, mouth open, totally surprised. A naked Dr. O'Connor rushes towards me and hugs me. Wonder over wonder. The likelihood of this event happening is virtually zero. Statisticians would say it's impossible. That is why statistics has chased away miracles. So, now back to Kingsbridge, England in 1982. We had settled in our bed and breakfast hotel with the other guests there. One day we drove to a town called Hone. We went into the local drugstore, looked around and found a little, very interesting book. A History of Home, limited edition of 600 or so, hand signed by Lord Canterbury or so, typos corrected by hand. Back at the back and uh, back at the bed and breakfast, I read through it and enjoyed it immensely. Pictures of men in uniform or not, fallen or not, and a picture of a Lou Perkins with an early motorbike who had the following experience in World War II. They were working on the fields when they heard the sound of a high-flying German reconnaissance plane. All of a sudden the machine went silent and the pilot bailed out. The people on the field uh, thought a bomb was coming towards them, threw themselves onto the ground and covered their heads with their shovels. However, it was just the pilot whose parachute had opened with the great Sufton, they wrote. They arrested the pilot, brought him to the police station. From there he went to, into Canadian captivity. The pilot's name was given, Kurt Thune. I thought this little book is something else. I have to thank them. So that's what I did. I sent a letter to the home parish council who had published the book. Now we are back in Germany after our visit to Anna Freud. A letter arrives from the council saying, we have looked for so many years to find the German pilot, but to no avail. Can you help us? It was not easy. I wrote to God knows who. Then at last, a letter from the German World War II archives. The pilot was in, uh, was in Canadian captivity and was released to a place called Hohenergsleben. I had never heard of the place, but then found out that it was in East Germany behind the Iron Curtain. I called the station in Hohenergsleben. A woman answers and says that the pilot Cortuna still lives, but now in Stassfurt. I call the police there. Oh my, were they hostile and suspicious. I, I think I have to stop that or else Tune will be in trouble. So I write to the Queen of England. I get the answer back that she could not help. Now what to do? 
Do you know the movie Bridge of Spies? Americans and Russians exchanged their spies there on this bridge. The exchange on the communist side was done by the East German lawyer Wolfgang Vogel. I call him and tell him the story and ask him. If Lou Perkins, who took Tune prisoner, would send you the history of phone, could you send it to him in Stasswort? Vogel could. The German pilot after the after the Iron Curtain fell later visited the people of Rome. End of